Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 79. And I promised you a pre-Tahoe 200 rundown, and that's what you're going to get today. So there are a lot of moving parts to this race. It covers a lot of distance, obviously, and there's just a ton of logistics that go into participating in a race like this, not to mention even hosting a race of this size. So my hat goes off to Candace, the race director. She is doing an amazing job from all angles on all fronts from coordinating this whole thing, the communication, all the resources, everything. So with that said, my thought is that I'm just going to give you sort of a high level view of what's going to go down or at least what the current plan is, because we all know what they say about best laid plans. Um, basically for how I'm going to go about moving through this race. So I put a call out on my Instagram stories yesterday for you guys to write in and tell me what you wanted to know about the race. And I got a a bunch of really good questions. Now, ironically, the first two people to respond were my pacer, Frank, who asked, tell us about your awesome pacer with the bad dad jokes to get you through the night. So we're going to talk about Frank and uh, my friend Ben, who I'm actually running the race with. And he asked, how long before you get sick of me talking before you ditch me? So (laughs) as you can see, I clearly have a couple of characters on my hands here, which I think will actually work to my advantage because this is a long race. (laughs) And if you take yourself too seriously during this thing, it could have the potential to go poorly. So (laughs) I'm excited that they are going to be there with me, that I will be able to be there to support them. And they're going to be there to support me along with my husband, Adam, who is my crew chief. Um, We've been joking around here that I'm going to run a race and Adam is going on vacation (laughs) because uh, there'll be long stretches in between where he's actually able to see me. So he basically we'll have a lot of free time to go fly fishing or see the sights or drive around and do whatever he wants. But let's go back to talking about how all of this is going to work. So as we mentioned, this is a very long race. And actually, I'm not even looking at it like a race. And that's not how it's marketed. That's not how they really think about this particular event, this race. I'm going to keep calling it a race, but I'm not I'm not racing anybody but myself. So I'm looking at it just as a long ass run <laughs> that's going to challenge me and everybody else on multiple fronts, physical, mental, emotional. And I'll tell you what, I'm here for it. I'm excited about it. Um, it's going to suck. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be all the things. Okay. So I just like to put that out there up front because Um, I'm not going into this thinking that it's going to be all unicorns and rainbows the whole time. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of dark moments. There's going to be a lot of times where I'm not going to want to do the thing I have to do, which is basically keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think if you know that going into it, you're in a way better place than if you do the opposite, which is to think that nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to go wrong. Everything's going to be great because that's not the reality of running ultras. So I think let's just start with a few of the basics so that you can kind of get the lay of the land here. 
The race was originally slated to run all the way around Lake Tahoe. So if you look at a map of Lake Tahoe, we were going to circumnavigate the whole thing. We we're going to go all the way around. But because of some fire damage, the course had to be rerouted. So again, if you look at the map, we were going to start at Homewood in California and run south around South Lake Tahoe up towards Heavenly and then over the top back to Homewood where we started. But the route for this year is actually what Candace and her team are affectionately calling Homewood to Heavenly and back. So We'll start at Homewood like we were always going to do, but this time we're actually going to go run north over the top of the lake to Heavenly, uh, which is on the right side of Lake Tahoe when you look at the map. And then we're going to turn around and go all the way back the same way that we came. I'm a little disappointed that we're not going all the way around, but I obviously completely understand why the decision was made to switch it up because essentially the... um, the repairs that are being done are making it so that having the race and the crew and the aid stations be in that particular section would just would just hinder their ability to make those repairs. Um, and we don't want to do that. Like we don't want to be in anybody's way. So a couple of things about this, which are good, couple quick things, is that it's easier for my support crew, mainly mainly Adam and Frank, um, that they don't have to find as many aid stations just out in the wilderness, right? So they basically are going to hit up all the same aid stations twice. And the nice part for me is that I'll be familiar with the course on the second half. So, you know, I won't, there's less opportunity for me to make a wrong turn in theory, right? Everything is in theory. The timeline for the race is pretty straightforward. We start on Friday, um, June 17th, 9 a.m. Pacific time in Homewood. And we have 100 hours to complete 200 miles. And the the official final cutoff is Tuesday, the 21st at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So along the way, there are a lot of different time cutoffs. I won't go through every single one because it's kind of confusing in audio format, but The cutoffs are a little tight in the beginning, and then they start to be a little more open um, and a little more generous the longer you go. So you sort of have to go a little bit harder, front load those miles, but don't go out too fast so as to sort of blow yourself up. So there's a fine line right there. Um, And if I don't stay ahead of those, then I risk being pulled from the course. So I just have to keep moving. Right. That's always the plan. Just keep moving. And and so if I do that, staying ahead of the time cutoffs shouldn't be a problem. So my plan, like I said before, is to run the race with my friend Ben. Um, and since neither of us have done this before, we just figure it's best to put our heads together. There's strength in numbers. You know, we'll keep each other from going crazy. Um, and then when we hit the 50 mile mark, that's when we're allowed to pick up a pacer. So that's where Frank comes in with all his bad dad jokes. <laughs> So the thought was originally that Frank would join us for the nighttime miles to keep us from going astray, but there are a limited number of aid stations where we are allowed to pick up and drop off pacers. They're just trying to limit the chaos, right? They just sort of, there's a whole process for how you register your pacer. They want to understand who's out there because ultimately they have to sort of keep track of everybody. We don't want to lose anyone. Um, And so if you let pacers come in, anywhere they wanted, the process would just be a little bit more of a nightmare. So there's strategic places where we're allowed to pick them up and drop them off. Um, 
And those places might not actually line up perfectly with the nighttime hours that we were originally thinking would be great to have Frank. So we have a tentative plan. Um, One of the members of the Tahoe 200 Facebook group put together a spreadsheet that does a really amazing job of helping you calculate your pace and what time you'll be into the aid station and out of the aid station so you can sort of pre-plan what you want to do. So we have a tentative plan based on that. And really what's going to have to happen is we're just going to have to see where we land at specific times at specific aid stations. So he's going to be ready to go um, and we'll just have to adjust on the fly. So let's talk about some of the finer points, some of the details of running long distance over multiple days. The first question that anyone inevitably asks me when we talk about this race is, do you sleep or when do you sleep? And the short answer to this is yes, with a little asterisk next to it. I will get to sleep, but it won't be in the long stretches that you're accustomed to, like in your day-to-day normal life. Um, There are a lot of different strategies. People will be deploying a lot of different strategies when it comes to sleep. Um, And the one that I'm going to go with is try to run into the night, sleep for a couple hours, probably no more than two at a time. Like I would really like to get a full REM sleep cycle in there and then get up with the sun or, you know, as close to that as possible to sort of keep me on a similar schedule that I have in my everyday life. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of sleep and it's not. I will, I will freely admit that as someone who loves sleep, I try to get a solid eight hours, seven to eight hours every single night, but I wouldn't be able to do that and finish under the time limit. So this is sort of where you have to like, you just have to sort of understand that you're going to be sleep deprived and make a plan to catch strategic hours of sleep. And as the race progresses, I fully intend to probably take some midday naps on the side of the trail every once in a while as needed. So those won't necessarily come at scheduled intervals. It will really have to be based on how I'm feeling. And those will be much shorter, like 10 to 15 minutes, just to sort of take the edge off. So the next sort of big bucket when it comes to all of this is gear because there's a lot of stuff that I'm required to carry and a lot of things that I will need in order to complete this race. And when it comes to the required gear, it's basically stuff like extra layers. Um, We're required to carry a spot GPS device that's provided to us by the race, extra food. We need to have the capacity to carry a certain amount of water, extra headlamp and batteries and, you know, just there's a lot of stuff. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you will have seen my struggles with trying to find a bag that was going to do the trick, sort of double duty, carrying all of this stuff and being relatively comfortable because you got to remember, I'm going to wear this sucker for four days, preferably less than four days, right? So I finally settled on uh, a Solomon pack uh, the advanced skin 12 ADV skin 12 and Solomon only sells a one and a half liter bladder, but I'm going to use uh, a different two liter bladder. It sort of fits in there. It's kind of like 
fat guy in a little coat. Um, this is why I don't sing. So it's it fits in there, but it's sort of tight. But I also have the soft flasks that come with the pack and those sit up front. And so I'll have three liters that way. Plus, I'm also going to carry a Katahdin filter soft flask filter bottle and so this will essentially it's got it's it's a cool little thing if you haven't heard about it you should check it out this is not a sponsored podcast by any stretch but um heather who was on the podcast a while ago turned me on to this device and so i got one and it basically has a filter built into the nozzle so that you can scoop some water from any stream or body of water that you run by and as it passes through the mouthpiece it gets filtered so That way, if I have this thing, I'll be able to filter water wherever I can in order to get myself to the next aid station. Because a lot of these stations are 10, 15, 20 miles apart. And depending on the time of day and the weather, it's likely that I'll burn through quite a bit of water. So the weather is projected to be good, like maybe mid-60s during the day and potentially get down to 40s overnight, which is actually fine with me because that's the temperature that I'm primarily used to. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of clothes that I'll need to pack. My office slash podcast studio slash yoga room <laughs> looks like a disaster air. It looks like a bomb went off in it right now because I've got little mini piles of shit everywhere. <laughs> I've also got a four-page list going right now so that I don't forget anything. And this weekend, I'm going to spend all my free time sort of looking through that list, collecting more things, and trying to strategically pack my bag so that I don't go over the, the weight limit <laughs> for for my checked bag. Um, one thing that I'm actually going to do too, and I think maybe you guys probably do this on your own, but if you're going to travel to a race and you're checking a bag, my strategy is... I'm going to check a bag with all of my stuff in it, but I'm also going to carry on a bag that has all of the essentials that I will need for the race. So if for some reason my bag gets lost, I at least have my pack, my shoes, a set or two of clothes, like the essential things that I need that are unique to me, like the things that I probably wouldn't be able to just go to any store and get. So, I mean, I, I've traveled a lot over the years for my job and, and personally, and, you know, bags get lost and it happens, but it would really suck for that to happen on this occasion because I have so much stuff that I need. So I'm just going to put my peace of mind first and foremost and pack myself a separate bag with all of that stuff in it. So Um, the aid stations for this race are really robust, probably more so than the aid stations you will see at a 50 K or a 50 mile race. I mean, I know so, but, um, especially because we're going to have an extensive medical staff and there's going to be hot food to order. I mean, it's going to be like a, you know, it's quite an ordeal when you have to support people going this far. It can't just be chips and soda. Like we have to really think this through. So, Like I said before, my strategy is to just think of this as a long ass supported run. And so I'm just going to run from aid station to aid station. And that's mostly because at this distance, you really have to keep an eye on a lot of factors like your physical status, your nutrition, your hydration, the weather, you know, all of those things. And so if you just think about it at the 200 mile level, it's going to be overwhelming. Like even now when I say that and I think about it, 
it's overwhelming. So this whole time, I've just been basically thinking about it like a supported race broken up into 20-mile increments, right? So when I talk to people about this too, the first thing that they say is, oh, that's so far. And it is, like I said before, but when you shift your perspective to look at it like a sort of like a multi-day stage race where you don't sleep, which is different from a stage race, right? Um, Where you run from aid station to aid station, it takes the pressure off of it being this massive thing and sort of takes it into a more realistic frame of mind. So just... If you're thinking that 200 miles is a long way to go, I don't want to downplay it because it certainly is. But if you're, if you have an inkling in your mind, even if you have an inkling that you want to do 50 miles or a hundred miles, or even your first 50 K, like if you can start to just break it down into I'm running from aid station to aid station and figure out how you're going to manage that while also building your longer runs so that you have the experience of going a certain mileage before you hit your race day so that you know what that feels like, then there's no reason why you can't do the next step up, the next race distance up from where you are now. Um, let's see. So what were some of the other questions? Um, there's a lot of elevation change during this race. So I'm going to have my poles with me the whole time and I have a couple different ways to carry them. I'm going to, you, I can put them onto my pack, but I also bought this Solomon waistband. Um, I don't want to describe, it's like a, it's a waistband, not like a fanny pack, but it's got a little, a couple zip pockets and actually two loops that I think people have traditionally put water bottles through or into, but I don't know how they could possibly stay in there, but I'm actually going to use it to carry either extra layers, like put my jacket through there, or it's a quick place for me to put my poles, like a a really easy place to just sort of stash them. So if I ever need to give my arms a break, I can just stash my poles there. One of the other questions was shoes. Um, and as far as shoes go, I run in the ultra Olympus. I have for many, many years. I love them. They are by far the best for me. They work for me really well and I have multiple pairs. So I'm going to obviously wear one, stash one in a drop bag. Adam will have some with me. I also plan on if I can fit them, bringing one or two junk pairs, like ones that I don't typically wear to run in anymore in the case of an emergency or if my feet swell and I need to cut or modify shoes, then I'd rather cut or modify the old ones versus the brand new ones. So who knows? I could have as many, as few as three and as many as five pairs of shoes going with me, but I know that sounds a little crazy, but that's just where my brain is at right now. Like let's have, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Unfortunately, I have a confined amount of space, so I can't do that with everything. Otherwise I would just pick up my entire cache of running gear and bring it with me. So I sort of have to be strategic. So one of the most important things though, that I want to be sure to touch on is foot care. And this is going to be something that I pay a lot of attention to because obviously my feet are one of the most important things. And I don't do well if I start to get blisters or hot spots or any of that stuff. So making sure that any irritations I get are dealt with immediately is going to be really important so that they don't turn into bigger problems down the line. Um, this came up during a recent run your first 50 K call about socks. And I know this is like, everybody's always asking like, what socks do you wear? And a lot of people are 
really into the Injinji socks, the, the toe socks. Those don't really work for me. So I'm a big fan of smart wool socks and I'll wear those and I will slather my feet with trail toes, which is basically just like a thick cream. It's almost like if you remember Vaseline from back in the day, I don't know who still uses Vaseline now, but um, it's, a, it's a little thicker than that. And it does a really good job of coating my feet. Uh, I've never had any problems with it. And it, it really protects them from friction, hot spots, and even when they get wet. So it doesn't like dissipate when it gets wet, which is great. On top of that, I'm going to be wearing gaiters to help keep the dirt and the dust and the debris and stuff inside from, from getting inside of my shoes. And I'm just going to try and take as many preventative measures as possible, um, including trying to wash and clean and dry my feet and then reapply at all of the major aid stations. So, you know, that they get a chance to breathe and get clean and air out so that I just don't get, I don't have any problems because that's really one of the things that I want to be sure doesn't happen. Okay, so we talked about shoes and socks. We talked about gear. Let's talk about clothing. Um, I can't really say for like specifically what I'm going to wear at every specific moment, but basically during the day, I'm going to wear compression shorts and a short sleeve shirt and longer, more insulating layers at night with the temperatures, you know, going to be 70, maybe down to 40. That spans quite a, a wide range. So I'm going to be bringing a little bit of everything and just trying to layer as appropriately as I can and factoring in the stuff that I have to carry with me at all times. So because I've spent all of my training Uh, leading up to this here in New England, I haven't really had a lot of time to acclimate to being out in the sun. So I'm sort of going above and beyond with the protective measures for the sun to keep myself from getting too much exposure. So someone was saying like, aren't you going to want to wear a tank top? And I said, no, not really, because I don't want the tops of my shoulders to be exposed. Um, Plus, I don't want the my pack to rub on my shoulders. You know, I'm just trying to go sort of take the above and beyond approach to trying to protect myself as much as possible. So just wait, (laughs) just wait until you see my getup because on top of having sun sleeves, you know, the, the arm sleeves to protect, I've got the hat. I bought the little cape to keep the sun off the back of my neck. It's probably overkill, but again, I'd rather err on the side of having it than not having it. So, oh, and I have a pair of gloves that I got from REI that are primarily for sun, but the part of the reason why I got them was to protect my hands because if I'm going to be using my poles for four days straight, I am bound to, you know, get some rubbing or some hot spots on my hands. So those are in an effort to prevent that. Um, let's see, let's move on and talk about nutrition, hydration, everyone's favorite topic. How do you handle this? So I'm going to, my plan is to handle this the same way I would in any other race early, often, and in small doses. So I'll basically just be eating a lot (laughs) for four days straight because I really have to stay on top of my calories and make sure I'm eating as much as I can without taxing my stomach. And so I don't want to introduce a a whole mess of food all at once, even though I know that at some point I will, because I will most likely outrun what I'm able to take in with just doing small doses at a time. 
But the strategy will be to try to stay ahead of that. And it's probably going to be a fine line. I'm sure at some point my stomach will go sideways and I'll have to work through that. But, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating that. Like, I don't expect to go through this and have my stomach behave perfectly the whole time. And my preference is for real food versus prepackaged stuff like goos or gels or or even bars. But actually, with that said, there are two th- two prepackaged things that I like a lot and I use a lot, and I'm going to bring them with me. And those are uh, Scratch Labs chews; they're like little gumdrops, and Go Macro bars. It's kind of like um, the, the old school power bars back in the day, but they actually taste better than that, but it's the same sort of consistency. So those are easy for me to take down. They are consistent sources of, you know, sugar and carbs and food. But other than that, I would supplement with actual real food. And I'm going to be, um, buying some groceries ahead of time to have on hand. And I'll be relying on the aid stations for food as well, because they will be fully stocked. So every time I go through, I will grab some stuff and have it with me. Um, and one of the things that I've actually been relying on a lot is ginger ale. And during my last hundred miler, I, I don't know what made me decide to do this, but I bought a little six pack of um, the little ginger ginger ale cans, probably like the six ounces. And every 15 miles, I drank one of those. And I don't know if it was placebo or not, but I credit that with keeping my stomach happy basically for the whole race, which is almost unheard of for me. So I will definitely be trying to incorporate some ginger ale into this as well. But for primary hydration, I'll be using Tailwind and alternating with plain water, doing a little ginger ale, um, trying to stay away from anything else just because that's not what I have done previously. So I'm fully prepared for not wanting any more Tailwind once I'm done with this race because, uh, you know, 200 miles, that'll be a lot of Tailwind. So it's been helpful for me in the past and it's definitely my go-to. So I'm obviously going to use it, but I always go through this cycle of not wanting it for a long time after a race because it's like you OD on it. It's just so much tailwind. Um, okay. I think this sort of brings me to the last big question, which came through Lisa, my good pal, Lisa on Instagram asked me what my overall goals were for the race. And honestly, you know, my, my main goal is to finish. I mean, I think that sort of goes without saying, but in order to accomplish that, I'm actually going to have to hit all of my little mini goals. And my mini goals are very specific things that are going to feed into or make it possible for me to hit that big goal. And so these aren't really in any particular order, but the first one I would say is taking care of my physical body, just like we talked about, feet or chafing, sun exposure, those types of things, just making sure that I'm not getting behind on any of the things that are you know, going to hurt me later on down the line. The next one, I guess I would say, is getting never getting behind on food and fluids. So always keeping that in mind, especially where we're going to be sort of up in the higher altitudes. It's going to be really imperative for me to be as hydrated as possible. Managing my mind so as not to stay in any dark places for any length of time. This is probably 
the hardest uh, or one of the hardest things about running long distance because you ride a certain wave of excitement and motivation into this thing and then at some point that fizzles out and you really have to dig deep to find an alternate fuel source and if you allow your brain to you know, get into that dark headspace, it can get really difficult to pull yourself out. So I guess this is why having Frank and Ben are really good, uh, are good things for me. And the goal is to not to get into a dark place. I always want to remember that I get to do this, that this is an opportunity that I have that I should be grateful for. And I also want to have fun. So those are my goals. They're not, they're probably not the goals that you thought I was going to say, but those are my goals. And if I do those things, then if I execute on those, then I feel like I will have a successful race regardless of what the outcome is. Okay. So that's a little bit about Tahoe, some of the, the overview, the logistics, the basics, you know, all the things that are going on. Obviously I will give you guys a full recap when I get back with all the nitty gritty details, as much as I can remember, uh, of everything that goes down. And, you know, over the last week or so, people have been asking me how I am feeling about this race. Like they'll say, you know, your race is coming up. How are you feeling? And most often I answer that question with good. I mean, how I just, and it feels like such an inadequate answer, but how can you possibly describe what you're feeling about something like this in a quick response? I mean, these are people that I'm like seeing at the grocery store or at yoga class or, you know, and I don't want to unload on them and be like, well, can you even imagine like all of these things? You can't. I just have to sort of answer it with good and give them like a quick synopsis of how it's going. But it's not an accurate description of how I'm doing because there are a lot of thoughts and emotions that go into training for something like this. And despite what you might think, my training didn't go as well as I would have liked. I did a lot of work. I put forth a really solid effort, but there are definitely things I would do different next time. But here's the thing. And this is what I have to sort of keep reminding myself of. Despite how hard I plan or you plan or how hard you try to make everything perfect, it's never going to be 100% perfect. It's never going to go exactly as planned or how you wanted. And that's the kicker. Like you really have to plan, but then also you have to adapt. You have to be willing to engage with the process and you can't be like along for the ride. You have to take ownership of your training. And what I have to keep reminding myself of is consistency produces results. And that's really what I have been striving for this whole time. So if you are feeling like your training has gone off the rails, if you are lost or unmotivated or overwhelmed, or if your race is looming on the horizon and you're nervous about being ready, 
That's why you have to recommit to your training and showing up consistently is the best way to get back on track and crush your race. And because I know just how important consistency was for me in training for this race, but also how hard it can be to execute. I mean, I spent so much time over the last six months. You guys know you've been sort of witness to it, um, like planning for and trying to figure this whole thing out and Every single time I felt like things weren't going well or I was having a hard time, I just kept reminding myself that consistency produces results and I would just recommit every single time. And every time I did that, things got better. So because I know how hard that is and because I'm sort of coming to the end of my journey with that, I'm launching a whole program devoted to helping you identify and fix the parts of your training that are holding you back, that are, you know, keeping you stuck, that are stressing you out because your race is coming up and you're, you feel like you're behind and you don't even know where to begin to get back on track. Like this was a really like I was just in this headspace. And so this is why I'm really excited about this. So anyway, so this accelerated coaching program launches on Monday, June 27th. It's going to be six weeks and it's a hybrid of group coaching and one-on-one. And it's open to runners anywhere from half marathon to ultra. So this isn't relegated to those that just want to run their first 50K. I have a separate program for that. But this is where we're going to go deep on what's holding you back And we're going to work not only in a group setting, but also you're going to have lots of time with me one-on-one where we can talk individually about the things that are most important to you and help you fix them and keep moving so that you can show up to race day and be totally prepared, fully trained, ready to rock and roll. There are 10 spots in the program. And actually at the time that I'm recording this, there are only five spots left. We had a bunch of people from Run Your First 50K snag a spot couple people that were not in that program, like former clients of mine that have snagged spots. So only five places are left. You can go and check out more details and snag one of the five remaining spots by going to my website, megan-gould.com forward slash accelerated dash coaching. So that's megan-gould.com forward slash accelerated coaching, sorry, accelerated dash coaching. And that's where all the details are. If you're not sure if you're a good fit for the program, email me, but do it quick because spots are being filled on a first come first serve basis. And we can talk about whether or not this is good for you or whether you should do run your first 50K or whether you maybe are a candidate for some one-on-one coaching. All right, you guys. I'm off. I'm off to cram as much stuff into my bags for Tahoe as I can, look over my list, and try not to stress out too much. (laughs) Eight days left, you guys. Eight days left. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon. (music) 